Okay, Groove Rats, welcome to the 29th episode of the Pushing Rubber podcast. My name is Adam Piggott. It's the 6th of December here in Melbourne. Quite a nice day. You'll all be pleased to know that we're finally getting some nice weather. Um, uh, yesterday was the uh, anniversary of the furthest point that the German army got in World War II against Russia. Soviet Union would be a more accurate thing for me to say. They got to a town on the outskirts within about, uh, I think it's within about 12 miles of the center of Moscow called Kimpiki. 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 Yar, Kimpiki. Um, spelled K-H-I-M-K-I. And I'm telling you the spelling of that because what you want to do is take a moment to go on to, not Wikipedia anymore, Infogalactic. Remember, we're all on Infogalactic now. It's a new cool kid on the block, um, non-politically correct and sanitised propaganda piece that Wikipedia is. Which, by the way... I did open up to find this, and then I went. Oh, I realised, oh god, I should have been in fact galactic. But um, Wikipedia is um, doing another big um, fundraising on their knees, begging like hell campaign. Dear readers, time is running out in 2016 to help Wikipedia. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> god. Oh, and here I was, you know, drinking beer and smoking cigars, and 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 yet time was running out to help Wikipedia. Fuck, what was I thinking? To protect our independence, we'll never run ads. No, they won't. They'll just uh, get people um, to edit their pages with pretty scurrilous political objectives. We're sustained by donations averaging about fifteen bucks. Pretty sad, isn't it? Uh, only a tiny portion of our readers give. That gives me hope. Only a tiny portion of people in the world are fucking morons. If everyone reading this right now gave $3, fat chance, our fundraiser would be done within an hour. That's right. The price of a cup of coffee is all we need. What about someone in Uganda? Three bucks is monthly wage in Uganda. Average monthly wage is, wage is around 30 bucks. So, three bucks is quite a bit. I mean, shit. So, $30 divided by, let's say, four weeks. It's about seven fifty a week. $3 close to half a week's work. Yeah. Uh, we're a non-profit with costs of a top ten website. Oh. Not, is it so? It's our fault that you set your business model up incorrectly based on on idealism. Because people on the left regularly hold up Wikipedia as an example of how capitalism doesn't have to work. They conveniently leave out all these begging parts. If Wikipedia is useful to you, please take one minute to keep it online and growing. Thank you. Growing like a virus. So no. Anyway, jump on Infogalactic and type in Kimpiki, which once again is spelled K-H-I-M-K-I. 
Uh, and you'll see where it lies on the right-hand side in relation to the rest of Russia, which is Russia's coloured like a, a creamy colour with a blue ocean, and then the other neighbouring countries like Mongolia and China here and, and you know, the rest of Europe and all the rest of it, they're all coloured like a grey. And you look at this... And if you realise that that is the furthest point that the German army got to in World War II, what the hell were they thinking? Because, let me just put it this way, it's right on the side of the map as far as how big Russia is. I mean, have a look at this. Just pause this podcast and get it up and have a look. And it's like, what? You thought that that was going to be it? You take Moscow and that didn't work for Napoleon. Wow. So what were they thinking? Germies. What were you thinking, German army? Apparently, a, uh, as it says here, there was a uh, a German uh, motorcycle unit got within the town, um, as well as a German patrol but then on the uh, 6th, which is today, I think that's the day that the Russians, the Soviet counteroffensive started. Or maybe that was on the 5th. So any Germans that had been in that patrol were right on the front line. They would have been smashed. So there you go. Uh, other news coming out of Europe. Of course, we had uh, the Austrian election, the rerun of the Austrian election, which had to be redone because of... of Suspected voter fraud in the, in the earlier version of it this year. And the uh, far-right candidate lost this time um, and conceded this time. Um, because of this, um, supporters of the, the far-right candidate rioted in the streets of Vienna and Salzburg. Um, they, they formed a huge protest group under the... Uh, under the building where the leader of the the victorious Social Democrat Left Party uh, was and um, was throwing things and tried to set the building on fire. They were assaulting police. Uh, Oh, no, none of this happened. No, none of that happened. Nothing like that happened at all. What a surprise. Uh, Another news from Europe. Italy had its referendum. Um... Yesterday, and now I I made a prediction to a few people that uh, I know that the no vote would get up by fifteen percentage points. It looks like it's twenty percentage points at this point, so I was a little bit wrong. So, um, but I, you know, I still caught it right, of course. Um, and for those who didn't really follow and understand what this referendum is about, basically they wanted to rewrite the constitution ostensibly to make it easier. Um, to pass legislation, the Senate would have been reduced to basically a bunch of feeble-minded, doddering fools who didn't, wouldn't have any power at all, kind of like the House of Lords. Um, so one of the major checks or balances in the Italian system was to be removed. And, and this was ostensibly to make it easier to pass legislation, uh, which is never... I mean, who wants more legislation? And if you've ever lived in Italy like I did for 10 years... The last thing you need there is is more legislation. 
I mean, unless you're passing legislation to get rid of legislation, which which would be that would be a different story. But really, what they were doing with this referendum was um, inserting a clause where the Italian Parliament would be directly answerable to the EU Parliament, which meant basically, technically, if you look at it, the Italians were going to give up their sovereign, political sovereignty with this one. Not so great. So it didn't get up, surprisingly enough. Um, the Italian uh, centre-left Prime Minister Renzi uh, foolishly foolishly um, said that he would resign if the uh, yes vote didn't win and then even more foolishly um, stuck to his word and did resign literally within a couple of hours uh, of it being announced. A bunch of uh, awful, hideous Italian television personalities from the state government on Rai television network also... Uh, publicly announced in the lead-up to the election that they would um, resign and never go on television again. They basically quit their jobs um, if the yes vote didn't win. But so far, um, well, of course. It's like all of those uh, so-called celebrities in the US who said they were going to move to Canada. And we're still waiting for Amy Schumacher to move there. We're still waiting for Barbara Streisand to move there. We're still waiting for hopefully another move to Australia. But, um, but yeah, Renzi kept his... Um, Promise. Interestingly enough, uh, there was quite a disparity in the percentages of the um, different regions. Now, I've got something here about that. Um, let's have a look. I did have it here all ready to go, and then I stupidly unclicked on it, but I can find it very easy. Um, so we've got, I've got a picture here, it is, of the how the different regions voted. So what percentage of the region voted yes and what percentage of the region voted no? Uh, the regions that had the biggest no votes were the southern regions. So Sicily, almost 70% no. Sardinia, 72% no. Calabria, which is right down in the, in the boot there of Italy, 68%. Basilicata, 64% no. Puglia, 68% no, Campania, 70% no. So really, 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 really high levels. And then if we go to the regions that had the highest yes vote, the highest yes vote by far, I mean by a very long way, 60% yes, was Trentino Alto Adige, and that was the region that I lived in for 10 years. Uh, this is really surprising to me. Uh, Trentino Alto Adige, at the end of the Second World War, was one of the poorest regions in Italy, and along with Val d'Aosta, was given uh, what was a limited autonomy, where they had more freedom than the other regions in Italy to handle their own tax affairs just because they were so poor. They got tax breaks, basically. And as a result of that, those two regions are now significantly richer 70 years later than the rest of in. Italy, but they jealously guard their tax breaks. Remember that with all legislation, once you put it in and people get used to it, they they see it as a right. Um, so income tax originally was brought in in the First World War in places like Australia and in the United States as a temporary measure to fund the war. Um, but after that, the government got addicted to the money and saw it as their right 
to tax your income. Before that, it didn't exist. And the same with, you know, with, with citizens, with people. And we've got Trentito Artage. So they're, they're really rich. And they're also, they're also stuck way up in the mountains where they're not really affected, I think, by everything that's going on uh, in the rest of Italy, which is being hit very, very hard by the economic situation. Now, the economic situation isn't great up in Trentino Alto Alge, but when you compare it, say, with Sicily or Calabria, I mean, we're talking the two different planets. And the other uh, area that they're not being affected as much is with the um, economic migrants flooding in from Africa uh, and the invasions by Muslims of these areas. So I think that Trentino Artage is kind of living in its own little bubble. It was quite funny because uh, I got this off my Facebook feed from some of my Italian friends, and I won't name the Italian friend, but he's written here, less proud to be Italian. <sighs> Youth of today, uh, he's only, he's, he's, I think he's 19 years of age. And one of his mates, who I know is a rafting guide, uh, Rent, uh, they, they posted up this, this shot of Trentino voting the most yes, and they were all congratulating themselves of how wonderful they are uh, and this guy says it's proof that yeah, in Trentino, uh, people study more, so the question's closed. In other words, uh, people who voted yes are better educated than people who voted no. Uh, and this, this university education conceit um, is something that I'm seeing a lot of in millennials. Um, back when I was a boy, so... I graduated from school in 1988, and people say so people went that I knew went to university the next year. There was no uh, there was no conceit or lofty moral superiority of going to university as opposed to going and learning a trade. It was just a choice that you did, and people kind of understood that if you goofed off in school, you probably wouldn't get to university, and even if you did goof off in school, you could still get into university doing a Mickey Mouse course like teaching um i completely goofed off at school and i got into university but i didn't choose to do it and it was you know to do teaching that was my option you could be a teacher wow i goofed off in school did no work and you're still gonna let me in university to be a teacher they're good good, uh, standards but there wasn't this conceit that there is today i find amongst millennials um that i've noticed in the last few years and I think it really has to do with the fact that they're compensating in a big way um, for the fact that university these days is such a poor decision. It really, really is a terrible decision. Um, there's no reason to go to university and, and hamstring yourself with such an enormous debt at an early part of your life that in I just discovered this week in the United States is not um, you can't declare bankruptcy <coughs> on a university debt so a company can declare bankruptcy um, you can de- declare bankruptcy personal bankruptcy in the United States on any debt you take out except university debt I didn't know this so basically it's servitude it's basically servitude um, and they're going this way in Australia too. When um, uh, this week the government was saying that, no, well, let me find it. Yes, I know I haven't organised myself, but look, look, if I if I if I organised myself properly, you know, and, and did it all, so it was just like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, ding, ding, ding. This the, the podcast wouldn't have this homely, homespun, you know, pulled out 
the back of my ass um, appeal that it does now to all of you. Um, anyway, there's this um, piece on Cadillacy Files, which has been taking, there's something wrong with their website, because it's been taking an awful long time to load all week. It's not loading. All right. So basically, um, I'll just do it from memory. Uh, the government wants to... Um, I know we're getting there. The government wants to basically guarantee the loans that they're making for university degrees um, as a 15% um, return on investment. So you have to pay 15% interest. Whereas the loans themselves are only costing the government um, 2% at current interest rates. So I know they're... They want to gouge. Not, not only do they want to put young people um, into some serious debt uh, at the start of their adult life, they also want to. Here we go. A bit of price gouging. The Grattan Institute. And the Grattan Institute is just a lefty bunch of lefty wankers in Australia. Is proposing charging students a fee to cover the government's cost of borrowing on the student loan scheme. At face value, this seems sensible, but all university... I'm quoting here, obviously. All university and college students should be required to pay a 15% fee on their student loans to help cover the cost of borrowing to the government and make the system fairer across the board, according to a new report from the Grattan Institute. The problem is that the... A quick look at the AR, the Royal Bank of Australia website reveals that the 10-year government bond is a yield of just over 2%. So as Sinclair Davidson says here on Cadillacy, I quote from him, I think if the private sector was charging a 13% markup on what is almost a risk-free loan, the government would be carrying on about monopoly practices. Good point. Now, I just my cat's just bought me a bit of scrunched-up paper, and my, my, my cat plays fetch. So he wants me to throw this for him. They get it, Juki. There we go. So, look, I just, you know, back to the point, you, you just don't go to university. This just, just don't go. And the thing is, is that universities are, look, the only reason, you go, you're not going to university for an education anymore. You're not going to, to university for an education. They don't teach, they don't teach, Plato, they don't teach Cato, they don't teach Cicero, they don't teach Aristotle, they don't teach Greek, they don't teach Latin. They don't teach any of this stuff. Look, Aristotle, Plato, Cicero, Cato, the younger, uh, Latin, Greek, geometry, that was what the men who founded and ran the British Empire in the 19th century learnt when they went to school, and then they got by. That, that they learnt those things and they had the strap to keep them in line. And when they went out to work, they had guys above them that wouldn't take any broker any nonsense. And it was head down, bum up, and let's get this thing done. Now at university, what, what, you can study sociology, you can study thisology, thatology, thisology. Apart from STEM, apart from STEM, I, I, I can't see any reason to go there. The only reason to go to university now is credentialism. Is this you're getting you're getting a credential that you can use to leverage yourself future gainful employment. But the fact that they are literally giving everyone who turns up at university a degree, you, you don't have to pass now. There are people in Melbourne universities 
overseas students, this is, this is on record, this is fact, who can't even speak English, who are graduating and being given their degrees. Um, Aaron Clary, my good friend Aaron Clary has a guy on his podcasts, uh, a guy on his blog that's all linked up to him that writes um, your thesis or your graduate papers for you. I mean, so it's it's credentialism, but the fact that everyone's passing means the value of these credentials are, are, are dropping really fast and more and more people are going to get them. I mean, really, if I was 17 years of age, um, there'd be two. There'd be there'd be there'd be a couple of ways I'd look at this. I'd either go out and get a trade, and I really recommend to everyone listening um, who's around that age and wondering what to do, just get a trade: electrical, uh, boiler making, um, plumbing, carpentry, whatever. Go and get a trade. Do your three or four years where you'll be paid to do while you're doing it, as opposed to as opposed to racking up sixty, seventy, eighty, hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. Well, you'll be paid while you're doing it, and then at the end you'll have a uh, a credential, a natural credential, is worth something. Um, a because we'll always need them, and B because just about no one else in your age group's got them. So really, really advantageous. The other, th- if I was seventeen and I was like, well, but I really want to, you know, I really want to get out there and explore a bit, and blah 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 blah. And I don't mind taking on the debt, a similar amount of debt to the amount of debt I would get, I would take on if I went to university. So let's let's say let's say you were going to spend fifty grand at a university. I'd go to somewhere like Rome and apprentice myself to a shoemaker, and while I was there, I'd learn the language. And like a really fine shoemaker. So you come out with, with a trade, but like an artisan trade. So a shoemaker or, or something like that. Because um, all this artisan stuff is huge now. Or we'll learn how to make um, Armagnac in France. I mean, Armagnac. If there's, there's two drinks, if there's two drinks that at a moment in Australia you want to drink, spirit-wise, it's rum and Armagnac. Everything else is majorly overpriced. Uh, I used to enjoy Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. The cheapest Pappy Van Winkle bourbon, the 10-year bourbon now in Australia, is $700 a bottle. A bottle. It's just gone through the roof. Look, you know when you drink a scotch, any form of spirit, and you get that you get that harsh feeling like that. Ah, you drink it and there's that burn, the burn sensation. You hear the burning sensation. The better quality spirit, you get to a point with the better quality spirit where you don't get that burning sensation anymore. It's not there. And this is why, you know, you get with high-priced whiskies and cognacs and bourbons and that sort of thing. You get right right at the top levels, you're not getting that. It's just completely smooth. And once you taste one of those, it's really, really hard to go back to the shit. But in Australia, at least, there are two spirits that are still incredibly reasonably priced and you can spend... Easily under a hundred dollars a bottle, um, which, by the way, for my North American friends listening to this, are in complete shock. Um, a bottle of plantation Jamaican rum, which I think goes for about fifteen dollars in Canada, is um, ninety dollars here in Australia. That's the way our taxes work. So we're taxed up the wahooza uh, on this stuff. Um, but for my Australian listeners, the two spirits that I'll be looking at: are rum. 
and Armagnac. Armagnac, which is um, like cognac, but it's from a different style of grape, um, is you can buy a bottle of, of Armagnac made in like 1977 for 100 bucks because no one's buying it because it's just not in fashion. And this is where Pappy Van Winkle Bourbon was five years ago. A bottle of Pappy Van Winkle was around the same price five years ago. But it's just taken off and become very, 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 very desirable. So, you know, I mean, how many bottles of Armagnac have I got downstairs in the old cellar? Look, a few. Because the same thing's going to happen. The same thing's going to happen. It's going to become very, very popular once everyone realises that, you know, there's no burn. So anyway, back to my back to my point. I'd I'd go overseas and just apprentice myself to an Armagnac maker in France. Guys who are like, no one wants to you know learn how to do this stuff. Any any industry, any industry. You're a young person. You hear any industry where there's an interview going and they're talking about the industry. Oh yeah, it's hard. The young people aren't interested in doing what we do anymore. Bang. There you go. Go right there. That's what you want. Maybe it's cheese making. Cheese making. Blessed are the cheesemakers. Blessed are the cheesemakers. Something like that. That's what I'd be going to do. So that's spend your money, go across, say to them, look, you know, I'll I'll work for free for you. I'll work for free for the first and by the way, that's how I that's how I started a lot of my jobs in my life when I was younger. I just turned up and went, I don't know anything, but I want to do this, I'll work for you for free for two weeks. And usually after like two or three days, they go, oh yeah, we'll give you a job. Sure. If I hadn't got to the point where I was like, oh, I don't like doing this. Imagine doing that. You go to university for study for four years, you spend sixty or $70,000, and you come out and was like, after two or three days in the job, it's like, oh, I don't like this. I don't, but I don't like this. Well, you'd be fucked then, wouldn't you? How about a waste of money that is? So that's what I do, young people. Either get an apprentice myself on a trade or go out and get some form of artisan ability. I'd like to do that now. I'd like to go off and learn how to make Armagnac. I really would. Um, but uh, I spent that same time working as a rafting guide around the world, which, you know, was fun. Anyway, um, what else has been happening this week? Um, Kellogg's has been boycotted or starting to be boycotted by the alt-right um, because they've basically called everyone... Oh, they, no, they stopped... They want to stop advertising on fake news sites, in inverted commas, like Breitbart. Um, this, is, this is... Look, I think it's pretty funny, um, especially since Kellogg's originally, the guy, Dr. Kellogg's, was developing his his cereals which you know is anti-masturbatory um anti-masturbation uh techniques because he was a he was a he was some sort of wacko physician this is all on the record man you don't put the others listening to me going what Kellogg's cornflakes to stop people masturbating yep bet you didn't know that did you uh look it up um but the thing, I was like, it was like a gab. People were going, oh, we're going to ban Kellogg's. We're not going to eat Frosty. I'm just like, I'm just looking at him going, how old are you people? I mean, unless you're under the age of 12, 
Who the fuck eats Kellogg's? Really? What do you? I mean, I mean, I know Jerry Seinfeld with his cornflakes brand. But when I was watching Seinfeld in the nineties, I thought that was a gimmick. Who the hell eats cereal? You guys serious? The hell? I mean, there's only one breakfast. There's only one breakfast. Coffee and a cigarette. You're doing anything different from that? You're a big, fat blouse. Um, there was also... There was also uh, another company CEO um, who decided to... Um, Boycott is a spice has a spice brand or something. And he he didn't decide to boycott sites like Breitbart. He decided to boycott anyone who voted for Trump. So he's basically saying if you're a Trump supporter, if you voted for Trump, uh, I don't want you to buy my product. I'm making I'm drawing a line in the sand. Now there's an interview with him. With by Tucker Carlson, I didn't watch the whole thing. I just couldn't watch it. I know that Tucker Carlson was uh, that on this interview because I, I read a, a write up of it. Took him to pieces, and I would have hoped that the, one of the things that they would have t- took this idiot to pieces was was like, so what about your employees who voted for Trump? I mean, so what are they are they supposed to just pretend that they didn't now and live in fear? Because that's what this is all it is. I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen in modern democratic politics, one side, the losing side, um, taint, not their political opponents, but the the people who voted on the, the other side of them as much as what's happened in the United States with the Trump election. And it's even more remarkable when we've just come off two democratic presidential terms. You've just had eight years of Obama. You just had your eight years, and now you've lost. And you're and you're what? You, I mean, this is the sort of shit that tests. I mean, the Spanish Civil War was along these lines. The Spanish Civil War was along these lines, and and in the Spanish Civil War, man, that was. I mean, there's a, a book by uh, Anthony Bivar. Bivor, Bivor, oh, I never pronounce his name. Anthony Bivor, the uh, military historian about the Spanish Civil War. Check it out, have a read, man. I mean, when the Civil War started, all over the country, if you were, if you, like, I live in Melbourne, all right? If if, if it happened in Australia, all right, let's, no, we're talking about America. So say you're living in, what's a hugely uh, democratic state, California, I'm assuming, is as blue as they come. You're living in California and you are a outspoken Republican who voted for Trump. As what, as what happens in the, as what happened in the Spanish Civil War, the day that literally the day that the war was announced and declared, and this is like in the 1930s, so it wasn't like the internet was there. It took a little bit of time for the word to get around. If you were in the wrong town, in the wrong part of the country, on the wrong side, you were marched to the village square and shot on that day. On both sides but a lot more on the lefty side. You didn't want to be in Catalonia and be for the Republicans. I can tell you that right now in 1936, I think it was. And this is what's happening with the, the, the left. I mean, and, it's, and it's just the left. 
like I said, there was there was no rights in when Obama got elected. There were no rights when Obama got elected the second time. It was just like, oh God, here we go. The next four years are going to be interesting in a bad way, which they did turn out to be. Gee, the left are sore losers, aren't they? They are sore losers. Eight years of Obama, and then they wanted bloody Clinton, who the only reason they could come up with that she was a worthwhile candidate was because she had a vagina, and even that's doubtful looking at her, and they lose their shit like this. The CEO refusing to do business uh, with, with Trump supporters. I mean... Um, who who was calling Trump supporters fascists? This is half. This is not. This is half of your country. That's just I find it. I find it. I find it absolutely um, deplorable. Aha, see what I did there. So that's what's happening. Been happening this week. Um, on the blog, um, I've had some. I've had a really, I'm be honest. I've had a really tough time posting this week. Like I've been bereft of ideas, and I post every day. I have posted every day almost without fail since I went full time on this back in February. February one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's eleventh month. The eleventh month of posting every day. Um. And, and this, like, I, I write down, I, I carry a notebook with me wherever I go. So if an idea pops into my head, I can write it down and then, so like a, a title for a blog post or something like that. Or I see an article in a newspaper or something like that when I'm out or whatever. I'll just rip it out and make a note of it and put it in my bag. Um, when I get up in the morning... Um, I normally get up around six, six thirty. I I spend about an hour, an hour and a half with with a coffee, just going through all of the sites on my feed, on my blog roll. So I've got my blog roll and the Manosphere Red Pill. So I'll go through all of those, um, and just get a general <coughs> a general inkling for what for what's going on. Um, and then I'll write my blog post. So I write it and then I stick it up straight up. The only time I I, I pre I write it beforehand and store it as if I'm going away for a few days. And then with WordPress you can get them to post it at whatever time you want, just coming up automatically. And I did that when I went to Singapore. Um, but I find that really difficult. I find that I need to be in just on the current of the day, even if it's not even if it's not technically you know, current. Like today, I wrote about this. This uh, you've got to, you've got to check it out. Yeah, look at my blog. Uh, the the title is "We Need to Redefine the Concept of Merit." There's a there's an Australian organisation called Male Champions of Change. Male Champions of Change, which is basically leaders and CEOs of businesses in Australia who have completely cucked to themselves for the feminist Marxist agenda. Um, and they've got some videos which are just... And you look, you look at the companies, Telstra, Qantas, Commonwealth Bank, ANZ Bank, 
Uh, These companies are just completely co-opted by SJWs if they're doing this. They're completely co-opted, which means if you own shares in any of these companies, sell them, and then buy shares in their competitors. Because, but the problem is, the ANZ Bank, we've got four big banks in Australia, and the reason we only have four big banks is because during the global financial crisis, the government said that it would guarantee bank deposit savings amounts up to $500,000, I think, was the um, number, but only with four banks. So literally, overnight, all the other banks went out of business or got got bought out by the big banks. So R&I, Rural Industries Bank, got bought out by Bank West in WA, which got bought out by the Commonwealth Bank. Got take, they took over them all because overnight their business model was completely fucked because the government would guarantee said that we'll guarantee we'll guarantee loans uh, from these four banks ANZ National Australia Commonwealth Westpac that's it. There's an ad on television at the moment for some financial institution. They've got Alec Baldwin who's come across them. We have we have Alec Baldwin on our on our television screens, which is just awful. So many ways, and he goes listen listen up listen up Australia. You've only got uh, four banks. Why is that? Well, because our fucking government, you know, killed the banking sector by guaranteeing um, uh, bank deposit savings amounts for only four banks. That's what happens when the government interferes. So, look, ANZ's been co-opted here. The Commonwealth Bank's been co-opted. But Westpac's been completely co-opted. They're not, they're not in this in this male champions of change, but Westpac are so co-opted, it's not funny. That only needs, leaves National Australia Bank. And they're like the they're like the gimp in the basement as as regards to the big four banks. Um, so I, look, if you've got you got bank shares, I don't know what to do. Qantas, get them out. Get your shares out of there immediately. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other ones. But anyway, so they go through and and here's I'll read it out to you. Um, oh, I love the 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 announcement there from the leader of this, which is the former sex discrimination uh, commissioner, Elizabeth Broderick, who's just a commissar in any form but name. This is her little, this is her little blip that she says, we need decent, powerful men to step up beside women to create a more gender equal world. Got that? So the inference is that if you don't step up beside women to create a more gender equal world, you're not decent so elizabeth broderick is choosing to define um what men are decent and what men are not decent i just call them cuck virgins because you know they've completely sold themselves out for the sjw's anyway there's a woman there called and i use the term woman very loosely when describing the abomination that speaks in this video because i can't work out what she's done with her head but uh she literally looks like she's I don't even want to say it. Her name's Diane Smith Gander. Smith Gander, hyphenated name. Whenever you see someone with a hyphenated name, wanker. Who was the president of Chief Executive Women. Speaking in the first 30 seconds of the clip, she says, as we take those actions, we're getting some pushback, and the pushback we're getting is this concept of merit. That's what she says. Concept of merit she goes on but interestingly the research shows us that the more an organization describes itself as a meritocracy 
and by which means as organization as a company. So the more an organization describes itself as a meritocracy, the greater the gender bias in that organization actually is. So something is really wrong. That's what she says. It's not hard to work it out. When an organization believes in meritocracy, women don't measure up as much as men. But that's, uh, that's, not, that's not good for the SJW world. And then we get all these male talking heads in there. Fuck, they're cuck virgins. They're so cuck virgins. Going on about the data. And they, and they, but they start off with a false assumption. They literally say it. If we, this is what he says. He says something like this. If we start with the assumption that men and women are of equal skills and ability, eh, there, there's your mistake. Eh. Mistake. Men have spent the last tens of thousands of years being leaders. They have certain skills and abilities on this that come through. Now, few men come out with these abilities, but they're there. They come through every generation. They're there. Women don't generally have these. There aren't that many Joan of Arcs throughout history. Thank God. You can't start on that assumption that men are women of equal skills and ability. You can't. But that's their whole equality thing. We must start on the assumption that men and women... And it's interesting because in the, in, the, in the video, Elizabeth Broderick says, you know, because women are as educated men. In fact, 60% of women hold university degrees. Well, that's not equal, is it? That's not fucking equal. Let's, let's get equality moving in the other way. We can only move in one way. Anyway, I wrote that post today when I discovered that by flicking through. But I've had I've had a bit of the last week or so I've had some issues flicking through. So I did that one. I did the simplicity of the lunatic left, um, which I thought was a pretty good one. Got a few comments. The destruction of our, of our vocabulary. Women don't want you to do what they want you to do, which I thought was good. Uh, Listen up, faggots! You're being used. Probably the best post of the week, and got a fair few comments. And it's been linked around a bit as well. But I didn't get any hate, which was disappointing. And Take Your White Ribbon Pledge and Shove It was probably the, the post of the last week. That was November 30. So, look, it's coming out okay, but I'm just... I don't know, maybe it's the end of the year. Maybe we're getting to the end of the year. I don't know, are you guys, like, reading blogs and going, oh... I just wish that I could read something about strawberries and fairies and princesses. I don't know, are you? I don't know. Are we just, are we banging on too much about the progressive left and what? We we all know they're loonies, but the thing is, if we don't, if we don't call them out on this stuff, the thing is, for the last twenty years, we haven't been calling them out on this stuff. It's been so ridiculous that we've just rolled our eyes and gone, oh, progressive loony lefties, and now they're in charge of the universities. They're, they've they've co opted major business organisations. They've co opted governments. You can't roll your eyes anymore, guys. You have to get interested. You have to get interested in what's going on. You can't just check out. Look, Aaron Clary's a friend of mine. But this whole thing of enjoy the decline, you can't check out. You can't do that. You owe it to your kids. You owe it to your kids. And now it's time to get involved. And that's why you do boycott Kellogg's. You do. You boycott Kellogg's. And by the way, we now have form in this because I, I boycotted Tor Books June or July last year after their third top female executive. Female executive. This is what, this is what female fucking executive leaders do. They call... They call their customers Nazis. 
That's what she did. She fucking called us Nazis. I'm going to find this. Uh, uh, it's on my Noisy Rogue blog. Let me see. I'm pretty sure it was June last year that this happened. Yeah. Uh, Irene Gallo, an associate publisher and creative editor at Tallbook, said this. Uh, there are two extreme right-wing to neo-Nazi groups called the Sad Puppies and Raped Puppies, respectively. Right-wing to neo-Nazi groups that are calling for the end of social justice and science fiction and fantasy. They are unrepentantly racist, misogynistic, and homophobic. A noisy few, but they've been able to gather some Gamergate folks around them and elect a slate of bad to reprehensible works on this year's Hugo Ballot. Bang! See you later. No more tour books. And as I said at the time, I've probably got about a dozen tour books here in my library. Um, They do publish science fiction and fantasy, and I haven't bought much science fiction. I think the only good stuff of theirs really that I've got would be the Glenn Cook books. Um, But, you know, we we boycotted them. Fuck them. Uh, If they're going to call their own customers Nazis, the misogynistic, homophobic, racist thing, yeah, I'm fine with it. Because it's not bad. Because I hate everybody. I'm not. I'm not happy with the homophobic because that, that that that's a fear, a fear of homosexuals. I don't have a fear of homosexuals. No, sir. So that one I don't. I don't particularly like homophobic. Anyway, um, so you know you've got to you've got to you've got to care. I don't know, but I'm having I'm having I've been having trouble with with. Uh, with the blog, I just feel like well, you guys tell me. You guys tell me. Drop a drop a comment on this on the blog. Um, you know, is it too nihilistic for you all? I don't know if I'm being nihilistic and it's getting me down. Look, I'll, I'll finish on a happy note. I'll finish on a happy note. Um, I smoked a cigar this week uh, on Sunday. That is without a doubt the best cigar I have ever had. In my life, I've had it sitting in my humidor there for about six months, and I eventually got to the point where I was just like, "I've got to, I've got to smoke, I've got to try this." And it was, it was my first ever smoke of this brand. It's a Dominican cigar, and it's Davidoff, and it. I think it was their number three. It was. You know, I was talking before about uh, uh, whiskey or bourbon or rum that doesn't have that burning sensation it's just it's just smooth well this was the cigar of that and look i've smoked some really top cigars but this this cigar i'm i'm going out i'm just going to buy a box of davidoffs whole fucking box they are the shizzle so if you're after a christmas cigar and they're not they're not cubans they're dominicans so you should be able to buy them in the states um, if you're after a cigar, a really great cigar to have on this Christmas holidays, Davidoff, go get yourselves one of those. Um, all right, shout outs. I've already mentioned Aaron twice. Aaron Clary, he sponsors this podcast because he's my buddy, um, and uh, I appreciate that. And you can find him at CaptainCapitalism.com, and he has his consultancy firm, Arsehole Consultancy, which I've used once. Um, and he probably saved me a lot of money when I used it. So, 
Um, go check out Captain Capitalism. You can find a link to him on my blog roll, and it's in alphabetical order, so he's close to the top. Um, and apart from that, that's the Pushing Rubber podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, if you really enjoyed it, share it with your friends. Share it round. We need to get some more listeners going. Come on, you guys are the ones who listen to my podcast, and you know I get a few hundred listens a week, and you guys who like it because you keep coming back. Well, share it around. Share the love. Share the love. Share the love. Where is the love? Maybe we need to work out. I had I had a listener email me this morning for another matter, but he was like. I'm a long-time listener of your podcast, love your podcast, think it's great. I haven't read any of your books, so I'm really sorry. I said, that's fine, you have to read my books. It's okay, man, it's all good. Um, but it sounds like you wanted to read my books. Maybe we need to do like a competition where regular, where subscribers, because I have, I have only a, a handful of subscribers, 43 subscribers there, subscribers to my podcast, if they can bring in five or ten more subscribers. The one who brings in the most subscribers wins a copy of each of my books. That could work, couldn't it? I don't know. Tell me what you think. Tell me if that's a good idea. Maybe you guys don't want copies of my books. Well, how could you not want copies of my books? Damn it. Speaking of my books, Pushing Rubber Downhill, A Journey to Manhood via White Water Adventures is my uh, first book. Um, and that's out on... Kindle, paperback, and audiobook read by David Zarini. And Run Guts, Pull Cones, A Rafting Adventure in the Italian Alps, which has been going pretty well. Um, paperback and Kindle, no audiobook as yet. But it should be coming out soon. Ish. Um, you can buy them on Amazon, you can buy them on Book Depository, you can buy them on Goodreads, you can buy them in bookstores, you can buy them anywhere you want go and have a look at them um and thanks for listening once again i hope you guys have a really great week um and that all your dreams come true and uh i'll see you next week ciao from australia